minimalists. <laughs> Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalists Private Podcast. Heck yeah. What's I'm up, here, patrons? I'm here with Marion. Yes. Or you can call us Rai Rai. As stated in the minimal episode. We're going to talk about the burden of attachment today. We're also going to really dive deep into some questions about Marion's relationship. The two of you, we've got some questions for you. Before we do that, though, let's start with some more about less. Sometimes I write these things, and I don't understand why people get so upset. They're so attached to attachment. Mm. Um, and I just write these things, and, and well, let's just read it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. This is called The Burden of Attachment. It's very short. It's from our website. Mm-hmm. You can, we'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. A thoughtful listener of the Minimalist Podcast texted me last week with the following good faith disagreement, which is followed by my response, edited slightly for clarity. Joshua, I disagree with your belief that attachment is synonymous with yearning. I agree with the Buddhist maxim that the root of suffering is desire, but I associate attachment much more closely with commitment than clinging, which I would argue are not the same thing, at least insofar as relationships with living things are concerned. Mm. A fine distinction, perhaps, but there might be something peerless on the other side of a commitment that transcends questions of its mere value. Here's my response to that. Fundamentally, it's all the same thing. No matter what we call it, attachment or clinging or commitment, not to mention yearning or craving or, yes, even desire, it all leads to the same place, suffering. This is true even when we dress up these abstractions with fancy concepts. A suffering man outfitted in a tuxedo is still suffering. Now, before you react hastily to this, it may help to understand something. This is not my opinion, and I don't hope to convince you of anything. Attachment leads to suffering regardless of your beliefs. This is not a bad thing, and I'm certainly not suggesting that one should condemn or avoid attachment. Understanding it is enough. You know what will help? Pause for a moment and pay attention to what appears in your viscera, not the decorous dance of the intellect. We can locate a deeper understanding if we move past the words and their limiting definitions. Scrutinizing the words is like seeing a delicious piece of avocado toast on a menu and then eating the menu instead of enjoying the food. Mm. (laughs) Said another way, when we intellectualize a flower, it loses some of its beauty. Doesn't the same apply to life, love, and experience itself. So let's drop the abstruse concepts, attachment, clinging, etc., and instead focus on the essence. If we let go of whatever is weighing us down, we can finally enjoy the unencumbered experience of our things and our loved ones without the burden of attachment. Hmm. You know, I, th- I think what happens a lot of the times is, and this isn't your fault because you don't mean it this way, but there's not a lot of compassion when explaining things like attachment leads to suffering. And I think people are missing that compassionate piece. And also, certainly people want to get defensive with their attachments that they're really happy to be attached to. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the one thing I'll say is, I, you and I have had these past conversations because you'll say something like, um, you know, hope equals suffering. And then, you know, you got the formula. And really what I hear you saying is, is hope. I've has, never said that, by the way, but go oh, ahead. You've never said hope equals suffering? No, you you won't find oh, an instance of that. Oh, okay. Well, uh, re- regardless, um, I, I know, well, let's talk about attachment. Attachment equals suffering. Yes. Okay, great. So let's start there. So to say attachment equals suffering, uh, of, of course, like I, you know, um, you don't mean, you don't mean necessarily attachment equals suffering. Uh, that's obviously, you know, not true. There are plenty of people who've been attached who haven't suffered, but what you are saying, and this is, I think where people need to understand is you're saying attachment has a very high probability of leading to suffering. If you, if you, if you don't want to suffer, you'll have as little attachments in your life. That's really what you're saying. That's the essence of what you're saying. But certainly, go ahead. it's funny because even you, me reading this, you, what you heard is something different from the very thing that I read that we've recorded and have on tape now. Hmm. That I never said attachment equals suffering. I said 
they all lead to the same place. Which is, what, what do they lead to? They lead to suffering. I'm oh, not saying okay. they equal suffering. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. And so I, I think where I'm getting here is we try to dress up these things like the word clinging. And, and the problem that we have is we say, well, my attachment is good, but clinging would be bad. Well, no, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you're, you're saying this, but when I, when I get all these responses, I mean, I have stacks and stacks of emails from people sure. where, where they're just like, yeah, but it's different. Here's one from a doctor, in fact. Uh, this is from Dr. Michaela Edwards. Sure. I've been following your blog for a while, and while generally I love your work, I have to correct you about your arguments about attachment. I don't have any arguments about attachment. Um, uh, and this is a matter I, I need to correct you. Attachment is a very specific term born out of the work of John. Ba- uh, I know, okay, I know about attachment theory, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is a different thing. Uh, so attachment is a very specific term born out of the work of John Bowlby and Mary Answorth, and later taken up and expanded upon by Donald Win- Winnicott and others. The term is psychoanalytical in nature. This is the problem. We're all tripping over our dictionaries here, and we're tripping over our concepts. And and what I'm what I tried to even say in this, and if all you had to do was read it, mm-hmm. is, hey, here's what will help. Let's not get caught up in the terms. What's happening inside you? What's happening in your heart? Yeah. Not not the decorous de- dance of the intellect, right? right. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so what we try to do is we make things good or bad. And that's where it becomes a problem. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, commitment is good. Well, that's nonsense. You two aren't committed to each other in that sense. You two are devoted to each other. Now, I see this beautiful kind of devotion. Now, now, what is the difference between commitment and devotion? Well, pick up a dictionary if you want to really figure that out. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is... is most commitment is, or discipline, or whatever you want to call it, is birthed out of this desire to do something good or right. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be Jocko Willink, right? And I have to get up at 4.30 a.m. That's good, right? Mm. And if I sleep in till 8, 8 a.m., well, that's bad, right? So I'm not committed now. This is all nonsense. This is self-help garbage, right? Attachment theory is just that it's it's intellectualizing something that's going on here. Mm. It's eating the menu. Mm. And yeah, I, I yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying. It, but but it's also like the the words good and bad. There's a context to those. A lot of times when people say bad or they say good, it's a preference thing. Yes, it's not a, it's not a moral judgment. Um. So it, I, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know, man. These are interesting conversations. I yeah, I don't understand the eating the menu thing, but I, I I think I hear the essence of what you're trying to say. Remember on the minimal episode, we were talking about the difference between uh, knowledge and wisdom. Mm. Knowledge is knowing what's on the menu. Mm. Oh yeah, avocado toast. Doesn't that sound good? Mm. And then I just start shoving the menu in my mouth. Mm. That's not good at all. That, that's that's knowledge versus experience wisdom yeah, right yeah. yeah and so i think sometimes what we do is we intellectualize these things and what i'm trying to do is 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 avoid that mm-hmm. uh we got an email uh that jess sent over to us i forget where it came from but someone was like i disagree about what you talk about with hope yeah yeah i had her forward that one to you because yeah what she was saying about hope is i totally agree with her just like i was you know i was talking to um Wolf, Josh Wolf, uh, when we were at dinner in Nashville, he's like, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you know, my, my, like my hopes and my dreams. He's like, I understand that those are tied to a certain expectation. Mm-hmm. He's like, but I really need to consider what the best possible outcome is. And mm-hmm. that's what I look at as hope. And that's what I look at as dream. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I get that. Like I, so it's the same thing with her is like the way she explained how she uses hope and that's how I look at hope. It's not good or bad. It doesn't lead to suffering. It can lead to suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but the question is, is like, how do you use that tool of hope? And she was simply explaining how she uses that tool. Right. And that's why I was like, Jess, you got to send this to Milburn because I would just respond back to her and be like, yeah, I agree. This is, yeah, I totally agree with your sentiment of like what hope is. Well, yeah. And here's the thing. I'm not saying don't have hope. And I even, I write it here. I tell people, hey, I'm not saying get rid of your attachments. I'm, I'm not saying um, you should, or I'm not condemning attachment. And people don't want to hear that part. They want to hear the other 
part and 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 mm. they start developing a, a concept around this with hope there's nothing bad or wrong about hope mm. hope is some sort of attachment to a future outcome. There's sure. no question about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't mean, I, I hope that something's different about the past. Yeah. Yeah. You don't hope that you meet Mariah. Right. But I guess like with hope, it's, it, isn't it, couldn't it also be looked at as a, like being open to a possibility rather than like having an attachment to like, this is really what I want to happen. That's, you know, the saying, don't get your hopes up really is differentiating between like, Hey, be open to the possibility. There are possibilities that can happen. Yes. But don't don't become attached to your hope because that is when you might really be in for a world of hurt. I mean, that that saying, it is a cliche for a reason. Don't get your hopes up. And I think that's what you're talking about. But going back to the, and again, just for anyone listening to this, Josh is a very compassionate person. Uh, you know, but, but it does lack compassion. And mm. I, I think that's where people are getting caught up on is they, it sounds, author, not authoritarian, but it sounds like uh a black and white thing that you're saying when really you're actually trying to add color to it, if anything. Um, but I, but I just think that sometimes like, even when you're reading, you know, when you were reading the, their response, it was this in a mocking way. And, and, and I think that that is what people hear. They don't hear the compassion or the, the color that you're trying to paint towards mm. something like hope or attachment or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly not, not mocking anyone. I'm sorry if you, that's what you got out of it. Not, not mocking, uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the way that you read that was, oh, here's what I said, and I'm going to say this. But I don't know what you would call that. But, I mean, there's not compassion in that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that's I think that's where people might be getting caught up a little bit. Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, on the record, Josh is a very compassionate person. I mean, I don't care if people think I'm compassionate or not. That, that That's not what makes one compassionate, well, right? Well, people will hear you more if you if you to come across as compassionate. And, and you do want to be heard. I mean, that's why we're here recording this, right? We want to be heard. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, is it is that really why we're doing this mm-hmm. though? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we have to we just have to break down what's the what's the the reason that we're doing this. Like, if I really want to be heard by more people, then I would just put out decluttering tips, right? Yeah, I think you want your essence heard, though. I, I think I want to speak the truth. I think sure, yeah. th- that's ultimately what it is, right? Mm. And that's costly to to us because we'd have a whole lot more followers and fans and all this other stuff if I showed you how to fold your t-shirts. Mm. And um, and there's nothing wrong. Now people hear that and they're like, well, now there's, you're saying that's wrong. No, no, no. I'm just not interested in it. Yeah, the, yeah. it's intent. What is the intent behind all this? What is the... Yes, if it's to gain more followers and fans, we would be doing something different. Sure. Honey, what are your thoughts on attachment? What are your thoughts on on hope and all of these things? You got any thoughts rattling around on there? If not, we, Josh and I could just keep uh, going on. <laughs> uh, the only real thought that came to mind was um, that we all view life and everything through a different lens and perspective. Mm. So I feel like a lot of these is just people have different definitions for what they think things mean. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that. Yeah. I don't know what I think. Well, I mean, maybe it's about respecting or at least, I mean, because what do we all want, man? We want to be understood. I mean, we, we, we viscerally want to be understood and I could sit here and be like, I don't care what people understand about me or not, but it's not true. Like I want people to understand where I'm coming from. Why? So it's, again, it's, it's a, um, well, let me finish what I was saying and then we can go back to being understood. So we, we, we all want to be understood and we can get to the why in a second. Um, so that is really where, you know, you can speak the truth. You can say something and really have someone hear you. And hear your perspective um, if you can show them that, like, hey, I understand your perspective. And, and the different definition thing, to me, is, is a way of saying, you know, when, when, when I talk about the word bad, you know, I don't want to hear Josh go, well, there is no such thing as bad. There's no such thing as good. It's nonsense. It's like, well, wait a minute. What's the essence of what I'm saying with bad? Like, that, that is going to create a more meaningful conversation than just picking up on a word and saying, that word's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Rather, rather than really saying, "Oh, I see what you're saying by bad," and what you might mean is preference, and let's talk about preferences. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I think that's when you when I hear you talk about definitions, that's what I think is understanding other people's you know definitions because that will help you uh, help you be more understood. So, why do we want to be understood? I don't know, man. Why is it so important that you 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 want people to? Because you're literally reading someone who's misunderstanding you. 
So what, why yeah. are we reading emails and texts from people who are misunderstanding you? Yeah. Yeah. This is why I, I really enjoy being uh, doing these private podcasts because I think it gives us the space to be misunderstood. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so 100%. I, that's why I asked you why, uh, because in a way I kind of want to be misunderstood so that we can clarify the thing. So mm-hmm. there's this almost this dichotomy where I want to be simultaneously misunderstood so that I can better understand myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's an understanding that happens through the the misunderstanding, in a way. Yeah. And um, the the reason I read these things is because there's actually it's not just compassion. I have an empathy here, which, Mm. you know, you know, my thoughts on empathy, but I see myself in these people. Mm. I trip over my intellect all the time Mm. and it's a huge problem for me. And so I love what Mariah just talked about with the definitions is like, we can put 13 definitions on, on the table. I was listening to Kapil Gupta speak recently and someone said, um, what's, um, how far is awareness from truth? (laughs) <laughs> and, and he said 6.35 inches yeah. <laughs> that's funny and it, it's because like we're looking for like these precise definitions and mm. as soon as you say it like that you realize how absurd it is yeah i'm not telling people not to have hope I, he, maybe here's here's a better way to look at it here's the mm. compassionate way to look at it what's missing when you do have hope mm. now for some people maybe nothing's missing mm. for someone else it'd be oh yeah you know i'm hoping for this relationship to be something that it could never be. And Mm. so I'm clinging to this hope that, oh, this person's going to, I hope they'll change. Mm. I hope they'll treat me differently. Mm -hmm. I hope they'll stop being emotionally abusive. And holding on to that hope actually keeps us somewhere that is damaging, that's the opposite of beneficial to us. So it's not about getting rid of hope or getting rid of attachment. It's about questioning what is missing if I'm clinging or yearning or attached or if I have these particular desires. How is that not benefiting me? Yeah, it's like like how is this hope, how is it serving my life? Yes. How is this attachment serving my life? Or how is it disempowering me? Yeah. How exactly. is it empowering me? How is it disempowering me? Mm-hmm. And and so that's why I don't want anyone to look at these things as good or bad. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as we do that, now we form a dogma around it. Sure. Oh, Josh, you're wrong, actually. Um, attachment's good and clinging's bad. Uh, actually, what I mean by hope is faith. Okay. I don't care. What I mean when I say... Uh, uh, um, I might call my microwave a uh, a pizza oven mm. because I can cook a pizza in it. Technically. When we lived with Colin, he used to cook pizzas in our damn microwave all the time. And oh, we, he did too. He would go down to Walgreens <laughs> yeah. and buy a, the cheapest $3 pizza. <laughs> And he would just sit there and eat the whole thing. Dude, and he still looked like he went to the gym every day. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so what i'm saying there is like yes it's a pizza oven technically mm-hmm. but are we really talking about are we talking about the same thing when he calls that a pizza oven and mm-hmm. i call an actual like wood burning stove no the essence is completely different they yeah. will warm up your pizza but they're not the same thing the essence is not the same and and, and so the reason that i want to ask these questions mm-hmm. is because our society has told us certain things are good mm-hmm. you should have hope well, sometimes those hopes lead us down a really detrimental path, a harmful, a hurtful path. Yeah. You can think about many of times in, in, in the past where you've hoped someone would do something differently. Mm. And therefore, we were attached or clinged to the related. Because now we, yeah. we uh, clinging's bad, attachment's good, right? All, all, commitment is good, discipline is good. No, 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 no. no. Sometimes. If we're disciplined about the things that are making us miserable, then is that discipline worthwhile for us? Yeah. And so it's questioning the essence. What is emerging from our behaviors? Mm. What is emerging from that hope or that faith or something else? And if it's something that serves you, wow, that's wonderful. But if something's missing because we start forming a dogma around it, then it's, uh, then it's worth questioning. Yeah, 100%. And you know, when it comes to being understood too, it's, it's not like, I don't know, man, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about when you can help someone see 
their pers- or when you can help yeah when you can help someone see that you understand their perspective i see where you're coming from like that is yeah i i think that's what creates again a more meaningful conversation rather than it's almost like you know when i was a jehovah's witness and i would get into these religious talks i never you know like i remember this one kid he was a seventh day advent we went to uh, college together and we'd sit on the parking lot for like an hour or two hours. We did this for like a month straight. Um, so went to school three times a week. Uh, I saw him. We would have hour long conversations after, you know, out in the parking lot. And when I think back to those conversations, I was never trying to see his perspective. I was always trying to force my perspective on him. Mm-hmm. And he would, he would spend so much time like trying to really help me understand where he's coming. It turns out we're both wrong, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, but and he was doing the same thing to me. I mean, but but that's but that's what happens. I mean, is just speaking of dogmas, you get to a point where, you, you, uh, you know, I it got to a point where I wasn't even looking at where he was coming from. I was just simply concerned about changing his perspective and making sure that he could see my. I wanted him to see my perspective, mm-hmm. but I was not willing to even consider his perspective. You were unloving each other. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it too. Because the the loving thing is to see them where they're at right there. Mm. And and I can see, and the reason, sometimes it's tough love. When I say you're tripping over your dictionary, you're tripping over your intellect, mm. these are the problems I see in myself. Mm. Because it's so easy for me to define these things. Oh, actually, you know what? Attachment is slightly different from clinging because it's this thing and that. And, mm. and uh, here's why this is good and commitment is bad and yearning is uh, leads to the Whatever it is, it's mm. like... I'm so caught up in the definitions mm. that I'm not even paying attention to what's going on in my heart. Mm. So attachment theory, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah, I don't since, even know what that is. So it, it's effectively that there are good attachments and bad attachments. Is, is, oh, interesting. Um, and there's this whole, you know, it's, it's psychoanalytical, which is another problem. When, mm. when we start analyzing everything, Hey-o. then... Butt joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I admit, like, we're anal retentive, but yes. Um, <laughs> Ryan meant more like literal anal retention. Uh, <laughs> enemas. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, keep going with the, yeah. It, it, so, let's talk about, well, we, we, we touched on this in the minimal episode. Again, this is why I love having this space on the private podcast because we can expand on these things in ways we can't do in public. This yeah. is an audience that is forgiving, but also um, they want to learn with us. They want to misunderstand with us <laughs> yeah. in ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I love about my, my relationship with Bex is she really enjoys misunderstanding with me mm-hmm. until we can... W- Till we can form a deeper understanding. And so uh, attachment theory has to do with mm. our biology, mm. right? Now, our biology as kids, we are certainly, especially a child is attached to their mother. Mm. No question about that. Sure. Every child, in order to survive, needs to be attached to their mother. Yes. Now, that can also extend to attachment with their community or other caregivers. And um, that these things can all be beneficial for raising a child Mm -hmm. every child at some point right around puberty usually there is a rebellion that happens Mm. in society it's like doing drugs and drinking and partying and and or as we talked about earlier it can be just a slight thumbing your nose at the parents like oh they want me to be an english teacher but i'm going to be a math teacher and that's, that's how I'm going to be different. I'm going to be unique. And that's what it's really about. It's about detaching uh, or becoming unattached mm. at some point. And the way we do that is by being our own individual. Mm. One of the problems, though, is society teaches us that attachments are inherently good. Mm. And therefore, hmm. we start to reattach ourselves to societal expectations i should get a job i should own a house Mm. i should get a master's degree or a doctorate i should take this job i should get a promotion i should own a car i should go into debt for these particular things this is the good debt so i should do those things Mm. and now all of a sudden we start to form all of these other attachments including attachments to people because we're told that those attachments are good as long as we don't cling Mm. as if they're different um and and all of a sudden, by age 25, or around for us, it was around age 30, we look around and like, oh my God, 
I've reattached all these things that are mm-hmm. making me miserable mm-hmm. because I never questioned the attachment in the first place. Yeah. And so we spend this time in our teens rebelling to become unattached just to become reattached in all these ways that are making us miserable. Mm. And so when I say in that short essay that understanding is enough, well, how do you understand? You always understand through questioning, mm. through seeing it for what it is. Yeah. Not what someone else told you it is or what someone else told you it will bring you mm. or what someone else told you you're supposed to do, but actually seeing it for what it is. Mm. And if this attachment serves me, okay, then I can hold on to it loosely. Sure. So why is it important for you to have a deep understanding of these things? I mean, I have an observation, but I'm just curious, like, how, like what, is, uh, what is it that drives you to have such a deep understanding for these things? It's understanding the things that make me miserable. Mm. Yeah, that was the observation I was going to make, is like, because it sounds to me like these things that you've had in your life, yes, have led to misery. Yes. And you're trying to let go of these hopes and attachments. So it's almost like when someone is reading an essay like that, mm-hmm. like, I mean, they could really just look at it, you, uh, look at it as you talking to yourself. For sure. And uh, yeah, I think that is a, yeah, I think that's, it's a perspective that I see because I know you so well. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I just think other people... Some people aren't ready to let go either, man. You know? No, and, and that's why that's a great point. We, we, we need to talk about that because there are some truths that when we're not ready for them, mm-hmm. they can bowl us over and, and make us actually more miserable. Yeah. And so the, the reason that I want to understand it is so I don't run away from the misery. Mm. I understand what brings the misery so I don't pick those things back up. Yeah. Dude, what did Jamie Will say about if someone offers you a blue pill or a red pill, take the blue pill? <laughs> <laughs> and all these these things are blue pills, essentially. I mean, it creates these constructs that we have, these hopes and attachment, whatever it is. Um, yeah. They are, in a way, like a, a, a lot of blue pills. And yes. Um, yeah, some people don't want to don't want to take the red pill. They want to blue pill themselves. And I'm telling you, if I could take a blue pill and go back to like having it all figured out and knowing exactly why we're here, and I mean, it would be tempting for me to not take that, or it would, yeah, it would be tempting for me to take it, I should say. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, yeah. So again, these are just blue pills that people are taking, and there's nothing wrong with taking a blue pill. Well, yeah, and I think that the, nothing right about it either. By the way, <laughs> that that's yes, yeah. That, I think that's a fair observation. The yeah. The question is, does that blue pill have arsenic in it as well? Right. And, and, and that's when, the, hey, hey, I hope this person changes. I hope this job gets better. I hope I start to love this city again. Mm-hmm. I hope, I hope, I hope for all of these things that can't possibly happen. Mm. That is a type of prison. Mm. Yeah. It's not that all hope is a, is a prison, but we create these little prisons based on what we hope for or what we're attached to, they're all the same thing. The essence of it mm. is, is the same. If those things are making us miserable, there's no how to drop it. It's understanding it that leads to the dropping. Yeah, totally. We got so many surprise questions Let's here. We got some about attachment and clinging. Uh, we have some about Mariah's relationships. Let's start with some of the, um, well, we'll start since we're still talking about attachment and so forth. Let's start with Colleen's question. Emma, what do you got for us? Is clinging a survival response or is it a socially learned behavior? Yes. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where I'm going to be like, well, what does she mean by clinging? And it goes back to the definition thing, which it's so easy to get lost in the definite or the context. You could, I, could, I could look at it that way too. Well, I, maybe, I maybe we look at it this way. Um, Clinging can certainly be a survival response, yes, right? Clinging to yeah. the cliff. Yes. And you are like trying to live and not fall down a hundred feet or whatever it is. Yes. Yes. Clinging is very necessary right there. Right. Or even clinging to food if you're, or the, there's scarcity where you are, mm. right? So in a literal sense, you're right. But then also in this figurative sense, the scarcity that nature sometimes doesn't provide enough. 
But then it's significantly amplified by socially learned behavior, mm. by advertisements, by marketers, by big box retail stores, by Amazon. But all of these things make us feel inadequate, so we'll want the things that are com- going to complete us. We cling mm. to the ideal version of ourselves. And then as soon as we get it, as soon as we get everything we ever wanted, we realize that everything we ever wanted isn't actually the thing we want. In mm. fact, it turns into something that makes us miserable. And so I get the car, I get the perfect spouse and all of a sudden, it's like, well, they're not meeting my expectations. Mm. I guess they're not the perfect spouse. Well, no, no, I had imperfect expectations about the relationship. I had imperfect expectations about the big house that was going to make me happy. I had imperfect expectations about the career that was going to fulfill me, right? Mm. I had in. I had unfortunate expectations around the religion that was going to make me the best version of me. Mm. And so, yeah, no wonder we're so miserable. It's a lot of clinging. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. It's both. Yes. It depends on what you're clinging to, I think. Whatever you're clinging to, depending on what it is, it's either a socially learned behavior or it's a survival. So I think it depends more on what you're clinging to than the clinging itself. Yeah. And no matter what, I don't want to, I'd rather not cling to anything. Yes. I can't think of any clinging. Like I'm grateful. I have them. There's like, there are some clinging tendencies I have with certain things because that's how I programmed or what maybe it is survival, but there's no clinging in my life where I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that I get an opportunity to cling here. Yeah, and in fact, <laughs> I, I love that point as well as Mariah's point. So your, your point about you never look in the rear view and say, I'm really glad I clinged to that. Or cl- clung? Clinged? Yeah. Cling to that for so long. Clinged. I think it's clinged. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm so glad I cling to that for so long. No, no, no. But Mariah brings up a great point. Sometimes if it's about survival... Clinging can help with certain survival mechanisms, right? On a very mechanical level, like Mm -hmm. literally clinging to the side of a cliff or clinging to the supplies that I need in order to survive. But clinging will never help you thrive in any scenario. Mm. It may help you survive. It's not going to help you thrive. Totally agree. Totally agree with that. Emma, we got a question here from Nicole. The word clinging has such a negative connotation. Are there any scenarios where clinging is good or even healthy? (laughs) Healthy has such a positive connotation, right? right? Oh, man. Well, it's fun. I mean, I see there's an article here we're going to... We're gonna look at. If so. I have it, I don't even know. Uh, maybe it's here. Maybe it's here. It's somewhere. Well, wh- while you're looking for it, it's just funny how I literally was just talking about how I can't think of any time I've cl- I've clinged to something, or I'm currently clinging to that. Yeah, I'm like, man, that is. So, oh, I'm so glad I have the opportunity to cling. Yes, like clinging is clinging is always like a. It's like in a way an act of desperation. Yes. Um. Oh, that's so good. Mm. And and through desperation, which isn't bad either. In fact, some desperation has led me to some of the the biggest insights of my life, especially health desperations. Right. In fact, sometimes when when you are at that most desperate point, you're actually willing to do the things you need to do. So, desperation isn't a bad thing. But the question is, what is missing when we're clinging? Mm. And so it's a good question. here's this Great essay question. I wrote. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read the last line, though, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's called Confined by Attachment. We experience the full spectrum of love only when we let go. Mm. Let go of the attachment, not the person. Without the clinging, all that remains is love. Yeah. Now, let's talk about that for just a moment. So if we're clinging to some outcome... I will love Ryan if only he does the dishes more frequently. I'll do the dishes. Right. <laughs> more frequently. Now, now, here's the problem with that. Let's mm. say the expectations, as long as Ryan does the dishes five times a week, you could get him to do that. Mm. But now there's a new expectation after that. It never stops. It's never fulfilling 
once we have arrived at the thing, the expectation that we're clinging to. Dude, yeah. There's just a new expectation that'll take its place. And it's usually a bigger expectation, isn't it? Yeah. It's like getting the promotion. Now I need the new promotion. It's not enough to be vice president. I need to be COO of the company. Yeah. Now, why is that? Because we don't know what enough is. Enough, love is enough. Mm. Loving someone else is seeing them for who they are without trying to change them. Mm-hmm. Ryan would say accepting them, right? Mm. That's a type of seeing. Mm. I'm not talking literal sight. That's part of it. But, but seeing them and, and with your heart seeing them. Mm. There's no clinging involved in that. Just imagining you putting little googly eyes on your heart <laughs> to see people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, clinging is, it, it, yeah, it's an act of desperation. And I totally agree with, uh, when you can let go of something, you know, if you love it, set it free. <laughs> I can think of one time it's good to cling on to something Uh-oh. is, um, the parking tickets at the airport because I one time lost one <laughs> and it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Ryan. It was not a fun experience. <laughs> I forget about that. I don't remember okay. it. That's how, that's how much it didn't. Yeah. It didn't matter to me, but oh man. Yeah. I, I'm trying, I am trying to think of like a real life example of like when is clinging helpful? Yeah. Or it, not that when is it helpful? When is it like the preferred state? Yeah. When and it's always a survival. Yeah. Right. And, and so I think we have one more question here about clinging and it'll probably illuminate where you were going here. It's from it. Wendy. Why is it that some people cling to toxic jobs or work environments? I have a good answer for that one. What, yeah, what is it? It's security. It's the paycheck at the end of the day. It's the in- health insurance. It's the 401k. It's the security that comes with working for a large corporation. That's why I stuck in a really toxic job for a long time. Yeah. Let's talk about it's, that toxic yeah. job. So it was toxic in what ways? It was making you miserable. I didn't share the values that the company shared. They were more, it was a medical company. So I thought helping people, helping people get healthy, that's something I could really be a part of and enjoy. And then once I actually got there and learned more and saw more, it's all about the money. Mm. Um, It wasn't about seeing people as patients and as individuals. It was how many people can you see in a day? How can you get the most money? for each transaction. Mm-hmm. And I had a really hard time with that, especially because I got to call these people and ask them for money. Mm. And when you're talking to people day after day who can't afford it and need medical care, it's just, it's really disheartening and mm. sad. And it really reflects on our our society in general and how we don't take care of each other. And yes. so the value part was really, a lot of it was, that and then also (laughs) it's funny because it was a medical clinic but to reward us and to motivate us they um just stuffed us full of candies and donuts (laughs) and um so I got very sick at that job um so I think those were the main things but I wanted to stay because I made good money I had a secure future that seemed a lot more secure than trying to do something on my own yeah I mean we would rather cling to what we know good or bad helpful or not helpful whatever you want to look at it serving us or not serving us we'd rather cling to what we know rather than take our chances with some with the unknown essentially so i mean that's yeah that's why i clung to my corporate job was the same exact reason i was like oh where am i going to go and make this much money because i needed to make that much money uh, to pay my debt payments because those, I needed to have those debt payments to, in order to own things to make me happy. And yeah, the context was just, um, hey, just keep holding on. It'll get better eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And it just kept getting worse and worse. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, there's all, there's also something there about like, it, you know, not, we, we talked, uh, about, you know, learning to, love yourself with uh, Mel Robbins and accepting yourself for who you are and seeing yourself in the mirror and really appreciating who you see. Um, but there's also something with trusting yourself. And like for me, I, and I remember I used to always say this to you, like we'd see a homeless person and I'd be like, you know, Josh, like 
just imagine how many decisions we are away from being homeless or being in that, you know, being in that situation. And one, one time you said to me, you're like, dude, that will never happen to me. Like I wouldn't make those, I'm just the type of person I wouldn't make those decisions. Like I would figure it out. And really what I hear you talking about is how you trust yourself to like figure it out and to make it work. Yeah. And I don't know how to help someone get to that point of trusting in themselves, but, um, in a way people who cling to these jobs, cling to the paychecks, they don't trust themselves. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I, I, again, I don't know how, I don't know how I got there. I don't know how you got there. I don't know how you got there, but, um, there, there is work to be done. If you're clinging to a miserable situation, there, there's some internal work to be done to help you trust yourself a little bit more. I think it has to do with the stories that we tell ourselves. Mm, yeah. We tell ourselves a story about money is the most important thing. And that what do we do then? We diminish the things that are actually important to us. It's not that money is unimportant. It's that it's not as important as real security. Because the security you're talking about, Mariah, is a misnomer. Because that company could have gone out of business. Or they could have outsourced your job. There wasn't real security there. It was a sense of faux security, right? And so we cling to that sense of faux security, that faux certainty, because we're so uncomfortable with uncertainty. Or at least we think we are. But of course, we all love variety, which Mm. is just a kind way to say uncertainty. Mm. And so we seek out variety or novelty, and we avoid uncertainty. We seek out uncertainty and avoid uncertainty. It doesn't make any sense, but it has to do with the stories we tell ourselves. Mm. And it also has to do with hope. I hope this job will get better. Now, we don't have any evidence Mm -hmm. that it's going to get any better, but we cling to this idea of, well, if I just do this long enough, if I stick it out, if I remain disciplined, then maybe something will change. Now, maybe it will, but if you don't have any evidence for that, then holding out hope in a scenario like that is actually a way to to keep us stuck Mm. in a place that we don't want to be stuck in. There's a different kind of hope we can have. I hope that if I walk away from this, then there will be something else. As you said, trusting yourself, having faith in yourself. Yeah. I can have faith in myself. The homeless thing is, it was actually the most empathetic thing because what I was talking about there is, I'm probably two decisions away. Of course, we from, are from being yeah. that person who's literally across the street from here right now, camped out uh, yeah. from our studio. Yeah. And also, you know, mental illness runs in my family, and, mm. and a lot of America's homelessness problem has to do with mental illness, which is exacerbated by drug and alcohol abuse. Yeah. Right, and so you know, forty percent of the males in my family are schizophrenic. Forty mm. percent. Wow. And so that certainly could have happened to me. For whatever reason, it didn't. Mm. I not. I have no control over that, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and yet, so I'm in some ways zero decisions away from that happening. Mm. You know, I see me in that person. One unfortunate circumstance could have led me to be the guy that is across the street, mm-hmm. and so I have extreme empathy for that. So much so that like I don't even. It's so troubling to me because I don't know what to do. Like yeah. there, there are times where I want to help, but I know that often the things that I can do to help will make the situation worse. Mm. And so it's paralyzing, right? Yeah. Back to the job thing. Why are we clinging to these, these toxic work environments? Well, it's because we want something different and we think we can get it out of there and we know that it gives us the certainty. We're terrified of the uncertainty. And so what we're really clinging to is not the job. We're not clinging to the work environment. We're clinging to that sense of certainty. Mm. If I can be certain about this, at least I won't be devastated by uncertainty. Ooh. What's the antidote to that? We tell ourselves better stories about the way things are right now. We tell ourselves the truth, not some exaggerated made-up thing. Things suck right now. Mm. And here's the 10 reasons they suck. With Mariah, it's like, hey, I have to 
do something that is against my values. I have to show up every morning at a time where I don't want to show up. I have to be exposed to all of these, you know, the candies and donuts. Who, who was it that uh, said, um, oh, I think it was Jay Krishnamurti, is, is um, uh, if someone places donuts in front of me, I lose my freedom. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so like, isn't that, it, it, and so you're setting yourself up in, in these environments, and as soon as you start articulating what the truth of it is, yeah, the money is one, that's one truth as well. Yes, I make good money. That's part of the truth. Mm but it's a narrow sliver of it. And we focus on that tiny little sliver. Oh, I'm making money. And we forsake all the things that are important to us, all the things we value. We forsake the people around us. We forsake our health. We forsake our contentment just to make a little bit of money and just to hold on to a little bit of certainty, which doesn't even exist in the first place. Yeah. I don't know why, but I'm just feeling really compassionate towards people who... Because it's not just the money for them. It's the money for their wife and their kids, their household. And they have all of these responsibilities that they feel like, well, this is the best way for me to like meet their needs. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a different perspective because um, because there are people out there like that who, who they can't just leave their job. Well, I mean, I, actually, we're never suggesting anyone just leave their job. That would be silly to just quit your job and start a blog or quit your job and start a podcast. Yes. Um, you can do that. It's not that you should or shouldn't do it. Right, 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 right. I think here's another story we tell ourselves, and you use the, the term here, the responsibilities I have. Mm. I think sometimes we think we have certain responsibilities that we don't actually have. Sometimes, yeah. I'm responsible for you and you and you and you, and and it makes us feel vir- feel virtuous about who we are. Look how mm. responsible I am, right? We often, in especially in our country, we talk about all of our rights. And then if we're really feeling virtuous, we talk about our responsibilities. Mm. These are just concepts. We make these things up. These are stories we tell ourselves. I have the right to this. <laughs> I, I have the right to do... No, no, no. Mm. You don't actually... Yes, it's in a document somewhere, right? But... I also don't have all the responsibilities that I've told myself, and it's not even me telling. It's not your fault or my fault. Society has told us, well, you have certain responsibilities, and you should be a responsible adult. Mm. But what does that even mean? Oh, we're making this up. Mm. And so all the responsibilities you have, yes, you might have some, but are a lot of them faux responsibilities? Are you telling yourself you're responsible for things that – you actually have no responsibility for whatsoever? If so, maybe that's part of the disempowering story that we can stop clinging to. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I'm just, I, I don't know why it came to mind, but yeah, I'm just thinking, how can we help people tell a different story who are in that situation? Yeah. yeah. We got some more surprise questions here about Mariah's relationship. Oh, okay. How about Susan's question here? <laughs> this one's for Mariah. What do you think of Ryan Sandals? <laughs> that's a funny question um like i'd have some problem with them or something i actually used to have the same sandals uh my heels started to hurt so i stopped wearing them um but yeah i think they're cool you know it's funny i see people on uh, social media all the time or they'll even like send in comments or whatever and it's at and they have a serious problem with ryan's sandals for whatever reason they have a serious problem with themselves yeah uh, <laughs> they can never wear those sandals for whatever reason that they're projecting at me well and, and why couldn't they it's not because they couldn't wear them it's because they're f- they're afraid of other people feeling about you the same way they mm. feel about you yeah totally or it's uh. just their preference that they don't like that style and that's fine yeah it's fine too yeah but it it's strange to me that that they want Ryan to change his choice of footwear in order to make them happy or make them feel a different way toward him. And what you illuminated right now, Mariah, is that, yeah, I love Ryan. I don't really care what shoes he does or doesn't wear. Totally. Well, it's funny because a while back he was talking about getting a mullet and he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, it's not my preference, but you do whatever you want to. I remember this. We were driving. We were in Texas together. Yeah. And Ryan was like, I'm, I just want to do it. I'm, I'm going to get a mullet. And he's like, what do you guys think? And I, I, I had a very similar response to you. Like, I wouldn't personally get a mullet, but it's not 
my decision here, right? I, I just want to. I just want to. I don't know why. It, you know why I want to get a mullet? Because I don't want to get a mullet. <laughs> because I'm so like opposed to it. I'm like, well, why am I opposed to that? It's stupid. Like a mullet is just a haircut. It has nothing to do with my personality. Yeah, there are some stereotypes you can throw my way, but that's just it. It's like stereotypes are a, a construct, and they certainly aren't true 100 percent of the time. No. So it's because I'm so against it but I don't know why I'm so against it. So I'm like, well, screw it. I'm just going to go ahead and get a mullet and like alleviate that whatever I have against mullets. Like I'm just going to do it myself and make a detente with it, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, this is one way to drop that uncertainty we're talking about, right? Like mm. the, many of the, the reasons people won't do the things that they, yeah, they don't like or whatever, right? Or they think they don't like. We talked about this with Erwin McManus is because we have the story in our mind that, Oh, I don't think I'll like that thing. But you don't know until you try it, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you try it, you don't like it. Then keeping doing it is insane. That's why that, that, that's what we do with the, the going back to the toxic jobs or whatever. Hey, I hate this, but uh, I guess I'll keep doing it. <laughs> right. All right. If this video gets ten thousand likes, <laughs> what, what do they do? <laughs> <laughs> right. This is a private podcast. I know. They're, they're, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot. Uh, what about Mark's question, Emma? <laughs> Uh, who uses more hair products, Mariah or Ryan? We actually use the same hair products. Same exact hair products. Yeah. So the same amount of yeah. hair products. Well, she probably uses a little bit more. I mean, I How use more because I have a lot longer hair. Yeah, right. So exactly. like volume wise, I use more product, but we use the same number of products. Yeah, we literally use the same brand of product. Yeah. 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 And both of their hair comes from Korea, right? Mm-hmm. And so exactly. Yeah. Just, yeah, this is right. extensions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Both of you. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, of course. Oh, that's really funny. People have, I love these questions. These are great because they're so random, but also, (laughs) you know, it's like a, uh, they're legit. Like people do, like, obviously they're legit. People are writing in. Um, but yeah, this is, all right. What else we got? What about Jessica's question? How did you navigate moving in together when it came to both of your guys' items? I pretty much just wrote a list of what Mariah could and couldn't keep. (laughs) (laughs) There was only one thing on that list. (laughs) No, the list. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually it wasn't really, it was super easy and simple. Um, I had a lot of stuff as I said earlier, maybe that wasn't on this podcast, but, um, when we first met, I was interested in the minimalism thing just cause I hadn't really heard anything about it. So I asked him about it and he sent me a video, which I ended up watching all of because, um, as I was watching, it, I was picking up the piles and piles of clothing all around my room and it just made a lot of sense that if I didn't have all this stuff, um, I would probably uh, be freer, be less tied down in a way. And mm. um, so they were actually on tour. They're on their 100-city tour when we moved in. Mm. And so for the first few months before we moved in, I had started just looking through my stuff and deciding what I wanted to keep and not and realizing that I had things like two VCRs and no TV. And I was like, okay, maybe I should uh, reevaluate the things that I'm holding on to. And so I probably got rid of, I'd say 80% of my stuff before we moved in together. Now, um, did he ever try to convince you to get rid of anything? No. The only thing that he did say was that he would prefer if I got rid of my um, furniture. Like I had this couch set um, that got a really good deal on. So it was super mm. ugly, but it was like comfortable and super cheap um i didn't say she had to do anything no he did not he said his preference was that i not bring those couches (laughs) (laughs) can we please not have those couches and so um i had no attachment to them like Mm -hmm. i said i just got them because um they were there was a defect or something so i got them super it was a good they were comfy they were super comfy super comfy um but we kind of wanted to make it you know our place and so yeah it was super easy i just brought my cat and maybe 50 pairs of shoes. Mm. Oh, that's right. And <laughs> some clothes and stuff. Yeah. And how and many shoes do you think you have now? Like 10. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and and all of that from no convincing. It was fascinating. We, we talked about the, earlier in the episode, we talked about the Denver event that we had. Mm-hmm. And this woman comes up and tries to get us to convince her husband, who's in the audience, to get rid of some of his stuff. Mm. And it's like, well, Ryan didn't even convince his wife who had a ton of stuff when they first met. There was no convincing there because the best way to convince someone is not to convince them at all. It's to show them 
the benefits through not not here's a list of the benefits mariah if you got rid of your shoes you're going to be uh according to this data here you're 87 percent happier with fewer shoes <laughs> it doesn't work that way right yeah and, and so it was never about trying to persuade you it was helping you understand some of the benefits for you, which are different from Ryan. Now, I'll tell you, Bex and I have one other thing that really helps us, and I don't know, Jessica, if this would help you at all, but we don't bring anything new into the house unless we've both agreed on it. Mm. Same, yeah. Yeah. And what's really helpful about that is, well, and sometimes it's, it can be a little frustrating because, oh, I want to bring this one thing in or she wants to bring this one thing in. Usually it's she wants to bring this one thing in. And uh, and she, meaning Ella, our daughter. Um, <laughs> and we just have to agree on it together. And it's not to deprive ourselves, but it's to be more thoughtful mm-hmm. about the things that we accumulate because mm-hmm. ultimately most of the things I've ever brought into my life I have a little bit of regret for ever buying them. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, like you have to go out of your way. You have to look for reasons to um, support your partner's preferences. If you do that, like not only does it kind of, it becomes a joy to like support your partner's preferences, but also then your partner in turn We'll start to support your preferences. Yeah. And if they don't, well, then that's a totally different conversation. Red flag. Yeah. And and the thing is, is like a lot of people, like, you know, that wife, uh, that, that woman, the wife of the man with the stuff in the garage, how do I convince my husband? It's like, well, how have you gone out of your way to support what his preferences are? Right now, you're just laying a preference down. But like, how have you gone out of your way? And then we were able to help her see, like, if you actually think about it, like, He's going out of his way to do what he can, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, a couple things. She's like, well, he tried to do this and he tried to do that. And he, and I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, he's going out of his way to support your preference. He's trying to do what he can. So what are you doing that you can do yes. to help support his preferences? But, like, that is, I, I mean, I, and I feel like that not just with, you know, Mariah, my romantic partner, but any partner, man, mm-hmm. any any friendship, family, relationship. I mean. Any other person. Yeah, exactly. Now, Making of demands is what she was doing in Denver. It doesn't work. And I think Mm-mm. if Ryan would have came to you and said, hey, Mariah, you have 130 pairs of shoes. I demand you get rid of 120 pairs of shoes. Mm. Let's say you even complied with his demand. Mm. You wouldn't feel as good about the relationship right now as you do, even though it's the same exact outcome. Yeah. yeah. Now, part of that is because that wouldn't be compassionate on his part. It would have been unloving on his part to demand that from you yeah true and i think it helped that i grew up in a household where most of the arguments were around how much stuff was in the house Mm. my dad wanted there to be not so much stuff and my mom wanted to hold on to everything and so i think growing up in this turmoil of how much stuff is appropriate for a household um when he brought up minimalism and i was watching your actually it was a talk that you guys did it was just like a question and answer um the seattle talk okay and uh it just like clicked with me like, wow, like this could be, mm. just my mind went blank. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, a better talking- way to start a relationship is on the same page about stuff as opposed to um, not caring or even being aware of the another person's preference and then trying to push your preference onto them later. Yes. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You saw the tension that created in your household growing up, and you didn't want to replicate that tension in your relationship because you knew that was not desirable. Any sort of tension like that is going to lead to some discontent within you. Mm. And so the best way to avoid that is to not bring it in in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your dad was like so into the, before I even, I think before I even went to your parents' house, he was very into the minimalism thing. And uh, yeah, and now I understand why, why he was so excited about it. He's like, oh he, yeah, man, you need to talk to my wife. <laughs> but man, she's getting it. Yeah. And yeah. And your mom's awesome. Your mom is so awesome. Now, uh, before we get to our last question, when you met Ryan, he, uh, he looked different than what he looks now. Um, 
he was he was closer to corporate Ryan, even though he was he was growing his hair out at the time. I remember this. Yeah, this and, is a little shorter. Yeah, he used to straighten my hair. Did he still have his beard at the time? Um, he did, but the when we actually met our first date, it was after a Halloween party. Um, we both went to Halloween different Halloween parties the night before, and he had actually shaved off of his shaved off his beard. That was Garth. Or no, I was Wayne from Wayne's World. <laughs> so he was baby clean face. shaven because he's clean shaven. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow! And I was a little disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I well, thought you were Luigi that year. No, that was <laughs> that was an, that was a Peberg, uh, which I don't even know. That was the lamest costume. But anyway, <laughs> um, she one of the things she has said to me, she's like, you know, I really liked, you know, the profile picture I had up. She's like, you had the perfect amount of scruff. Mm. So, uh-huh. yeah so like i try to keep it like this but then you know and guys will understand this you just, you're like i'll shave tomorrow i shave my legs every day i'll shave right exactly right women are on <laughs> it women are on it i mean i shave my legs every day too but it's the beard <laughs> uh, um, uh, you know um even if you grew your hair out on your legs it's still oh it's you. for me not for you oh okay fair enough <laughs> But yeah, I mean, just with so I try to keep it like this length because I know that's that's her preference. But that is one thing where I'm just, I'm just like, I'll put it off to tomorrow. But and then and then I get compliments when I start to grow it out. Right, people will be like, "Man, I'm really liking the beard." I'm like, "Yeah, well, my wife does not." <laughs> well, I, it's funny because we've gone through these stages. I remember when we first started the minimalist. Ryan and I were in the corporate world. It's been 11 years now, and you know, so Ryan was still very corporate Ryan he had the short cut hair and he had, was clean shaven or he'd have a five o'clock shadow and and that was sort of one iteration and then we we started to move to Montana and he grew his hair out a little bit and then he grew this big beard we have, <laughs> remember the the 2013 pictures yeah. with me you and Colin you had a big old beard I just wanted to see how thick I could like grow the beard out and how full it would and it turns out like it's just not a very full beard. I, I mean, think if you Google image search Ryan, you'll find the different iterations of Ryan Nicodemus. For sure. for sure. And now you've sort of, around 2014, 2015 is when this aesthetic developed. And it, you've, it's like, oh, I feel like I found me in a way. Mm. I, I've sensed that about you. Yeah. And now the new you is going to be a mullet. Oh, dude, <laughs> I'm so tempted. I, I uh, wrote to Oya. Oya is the, the gal who cuts my hair and Mariah's hair for that matter. She's an awesome lady. We've talked about her on the podcast before, but I was like, uh, will you cut? Can you do a mullet for me? Like if I want you to do that, she's like, look, she's like, do you remember in the wedding crashes where they're arguing over, uh, there's like a kid talking to a balloon maker. Yeah. He's like, the kid wants a dog. And the guy's like, do you really want a dog? I mean, I'll do a dog for you, but I, but I, but I don't want to make you a dog out of this balloon. And the kid's like, I want a dog. I want a dog. He's like, fine. You can have your freaking dog. <laughs> She's like, that's how I would feel with this. Like, I'll do it for you. She's like, but I don't think you should do it. Or no, she was like, I don't want to do it is what it was. She's like, but I'll do it for you. So uh, anyway, TBD, comment on this episode if I should get a mullet or not. Yeah, let us know, patrons. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's end today by wishing Ryan a happy birthday. But then also, before we do that... Um, Emma, actual in-studio question from Emma. Mm. Yes, Ryan, I'm curious. What's been your biggest takeaway from the t- past, I was going to say 10 years, but it sounds like it's 11 years. Mm. But from the, from minimalism? Yeah, and just this journey that you and yeah. Josh have gone on with minimalism mm. as the minimalists. Biggest takeaway? Uh, there are so many. It's like asking me my favorite city. What is your favorite city? So many favorite cities for different reasons. Oh, I mean, I'll tell you a place I've got to that I really am grateful for, which is just really loving who I see in the mirror. Like that, that gets, that, that just, that, that trumps everything. And I don't think I would have gotten there without, first off, like screwing up much of my life and knowing, you know, what not to do. Um, but you know, this journey of simplicity and like really getting clear on my values and getting clear on how to use my resources, resources deliberately. So yeah, you, you know, using those deliberately to, um, to get to a place where I really love my, and that wasn't my plan. I wasn't, my plan wasn't like, how can I get to a place where I love myself? You know? Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. No. How do I love myself? Yeah. doesn't work. It was really, yeah. It was really about like, it started off with regaining control of my time, 
which would help me regain control of my finances, but it has just led to so much more. But through that journey, it's like, you know, I can, someone, yeah, someone could give me the worst criticism in the world and I could just look at them and be like, oh, I understand. Yeah. And like not let it ruin my day. And I'm curious about the question here. What, what, um, you know, so if Ryan t- told you like, uh, it's that he can live with 300 items, like what do you hope to get out of an answer from the question like this? I just wanted to know. I, I feel like I feel really um, satiated with your response. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of like you guys have had a, a crazy 10, 11 years um, together. And mm. so I'm just curious what like that kind of biggest theme was. And, and I feel like you answered it. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are so many takeaways, though. It's like. Yeah, I don't. I don't need much. I could live out of a suitcase if I had to. Um, if anything, it's yeah. I, I guess you know, giving is is way more rewarding than getting. Mm. Whether it's with uh, readers and and, and and viewers, or whether it's with relationships. Um, yeah, there's yeah. Like I really, I'm a completely different person though than from what I was ten years ago. Um, but yeah, love yourself. <laughs> or else the opposite never works that's right <laughs> that's right oh mariah thank you for joining us uh, for ryan's me. birthday you are awesome i love you i appreciate you you guys are awesome and i love you both but i love ryan a little bit more <laughs> <laughs> all right oh. y'all happy birthday ryan nicodemus happy Woo! birthday yeah all right I y'all you. i love you patrons thanks Later. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it.